You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. It's Super Tuesday Eve, and people worry about influence operations, both foreign and domestic. Doppelpaymer hits a precision manufacturer and moves surprisingly quickly to expose stolen files. Vulnerable WordPress plugins are being exploited in the wild. And a catfish is running for Congress in Rhode Island, and he's even got a blue checkmark. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, March 2nd, 2020. Tomorrow is Super Tuesday in the U.S. 14 states will hold their Democratic presidential primary. The Washington Post, noting the ways in which occasions for influence operations are topical and closely tied to current events and popular sentiment, observes that several experts, including government officials, are expecting coronavirus to serve as fodder for attempts to suppress turnout. There's been a great deal of misinformation about the COVID-19 strain of coronavirus gurgling about on the Internet. Most of that has involved the flacking of patently bogus cures, dodgy supplements and pharmaceuticals, and, of course, the sort of survivalist paraphernalia disasters tend to churn to the surface of the popular imagination. But Super Tuesday affords an opportunity to use public fear in the service of influence operations. Such attempts could be either foreign or domestic, especially since the South Carolina results, with the first strong showing by former Vice President Biden, have caused the Democratic race to tighten. Consider someone desires for political reasons to suppress turnout, either globally or in certain districts. It wouldn't be difficult to spread a rumor to the effect that going to the local polling place is bound to expose you to a disease that you don't understand very well, but that seems very scary. Or suppose a campaign tanks where it was expected to run strongly. How difficult would it be to ascribe failure at the polls to a rival's conspiracy to scare away people with coronavirus worries? And of course, if you're a state operator, and of course we're looking at you, Russia, any confusion or mistrust is, from your point of view, just gravy. The feds are, as they say, on the case, actively coordinating with and providing support for local election boards throughout the nation. Last week at RSAC 2020, we met with Elvis Chan, who is among the top experts on election security in the FBI. I think the beauty of the United States of America is we have the federal government and then we have the state governments that are actually in charge of the election systems, right? right. So I think there's just a healthy tension, say, between the two governments, right? At the end of the day, the states are in charge of the elections. Mm -hmm. as, as a U.S. government representative, I totally get that. And so I, I think it's just continuing to build on the relationships that we have established with the different state, county, and local election officials. I do think it's much better. We are at a much better posture than where we were in 2018. 
In terms of the professionals who are in the cybersecurity sector, what sort of things would you like them to know about the state of our elections here? So I would like the cybersecurity professionals to know that we're all on it. And it's really not just the U.S. government's job or even the state and county government's job. It is everyone's job. I would like to say for the upcoming election and for all elections, it is a whole of society effort and approach that we are hoping for. And we're really trying to, to sell that idea to everyone. Can you give us some insights on, on some of the partnerships that happen between the various agencies, how all of you work together, the parts that you play to ensure the integrity of the elections? Yes, that, that's, I would like to say the interagency is, is working well. I really thought it came together, if we can use post 9-11 as a context, right? So yeah. it was really focused around counterterrorism, all of the different agencies involved in counterterrorism, DHS, FBI, CIA, NSA, right? So all working well in that space. And I feel like that has now migrated over to what is essentially a counter-espionage, counterintelligence space, right? So we work very well with the other agencies. I kid you not when I say that we either email or talk on the phone almost every day. I talk on the phone or email with one of those agencies every single day, and we're coordinating all on election security. We're all counting on each other's reporting, so there's no stovepiping, right? So mm. I get a daily email that has all of the election security related reporting from the entire U.S. intelligence community every single day. And it is fantastic information. We're tracking on a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of good stuff, and, you know, working to, to counter and disrupt things that we see coming on the horizon. As a citizen, as uh, someone here, <laughs> you know, a proud, proud U.S. citizen, um, how do I calibrate my views on the upcoming election. There's so much information out there and, and so much coming from different sources saying, you know, bad things are going to happen or don't worry at all. And uh, with many of these things, the truth is somewhere in the middle. From your perspective, for those of us who are going day to day about our, our everyday lives, what should we know about uh, this upcoming election? I think what, you, what everyone should know is that all of us within the government, whether it be the U.S. government, state, county, local, we are all doing our best. We need the American electorate to be as informed as possible, right? And so I know that we live in an age, you know, of social media where we get to live in our bubbles, but I would ask all Americans, like, let's, let's all get out of our bubbles. Let's you know, look, look at different viewpoints. Let's try to be informed with, I mean, I don't want to use air quotes, but like trusted news sources. Mm -hmm. There are different news sources and, and I think Americans are smart enough to be able to look at different news sources and then decide for themselves at the end of the day. Listen to all of the different candidates who are talking and they, they should vote with, you know, being informed on all of that information. Really what I'm asking for is the American public, like go do your research and then after that you make the decision that you want to make on election day. I do want to make a plug on FBI.gov. We have an initiative called the Protected Voices Initiative. And if people just want to search on our website, they can go. There's a bunch of different training videos that have really good cybersecurity, very short cybersecurity videos. But it's helpful not only for political campaigns, but for us as the American public. That's Elvis Chan from the FBI. RT is sniffing that accusations of Russian collusion go back to the Cold War. And so how about those nutty Yankees, huh? An uncluttered and hysterical lot? Just look at the kinds of TV shows they watch. Not a pretty side, Druk Moy. 
And indeed, RT, an official Kremlin news source, by the way, offers a nice review of the ways in which U.S. presidents have been at various times accused of being Russian tools. But collusion is probably something of a red herring, as they used to say back in the Cold War. Attempts at influence have been much more the thing, as RT ought to know better than anybody else, and those do indeed go back to the Cold War and beyond. There's been an interesting attack which, while it doesn't appear to be directed against a supply chain, nonetheless may have supply chain effects. Visser Precision, a manufacturer with customers in several industrial sectors, disclosed over the weekend that it had been the victim of a cyber attack. TechCrunch reports that the attack was a ransomware infection, specifically an attack using the Doppelheimer ransomware strain. Visser said in a brief statement to TechCrunch that the company continues its comprehensive investigation of the attack and business is operating normally. Doppelheimer followed its recent pattern of stealing as well as encrypting data. Emsisoft researchers told TechCrunch they'd found a website that listed the files stolen in the incident. On display were folders named for Visser customers. Those included Tesla, SpaceX, Boeing, and Lockheed Martin. Some, but not all of the files, were available for download. It's interesting that in this case, the doppelpamer operators seem to have lost little time in exposing the stolen files online. Vulnerabilities in several WordPress plugins are being actively exploited in the wild, ZDNet reports. Some of the affected plugins include Google Maps and Modern Events Calendar Lite plugins, where similar zero days in async JavaScript, 10Web Map Builder are being used. Also affected are ThemeRex, WooCommerce, ThemeGrill Demo Importer, Duplicator, and Profile Builder. And finally, in election news, there's a candidate for Congress in Rhode Island, Andrew Walls, who's running as a proven business leader and a passionate advocate for students. His campaign tagline is, Let's make change in Washington together. So, definitely a guy to watch. Only actually, that will be hard because Mr. Walls is a catfish, the creation of an anonymous high school student in upstate New York. That is, Mr. Walls doesn't actually exist. But, real or not, Mr. Walls got himself a coveted blue check mark from Twitter. The high school student who created Andrew Walls did so over his school's winter break because he was bored. We hope that unnamed student moves Andrew Walls onto some dating sites. We think Andrew Walls and Robin Sage would make beautiful music together. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber.
In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He's the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute, also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's always great to have you back. Um, we've seen some developments in iOS when it comes to uh, some authentication issues here. What's going on? Yeah, so one problem you always have with mobile devices, and in particular uh, with mobile web applications, is that it's a real pain to log in. Uh, you're on the way to work in your car, you know, coffee mug in one hand, phone in the other hand, <laughs> trying to log in. Uh, you're not going to type... Steering a, with your knees. Steering with your knees. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, you're not going to type a complex password uh, uh, with <laughs> right. lots of special characters and such. Uh, so, so that has been a real pain and there have been sort of some workarounds for this. But uh, there's sort of a, a real neat standard evolving Many mobile devices now have some reasonably robust uh, biometrics. Uh, like in iOS, lately you had this uh, pretty good uh, face ID, you had fingerprint mm. scanners and the like. But what was missing really was a link uh, between these authentication mechanisms that you have built in the phone and your web browser. You could use them in mobile applications, but not necessarily in web-based applications. And with the latest version of iOS, Apple has finally uh, caught up here and added some of these mechanisms into Safari on iOS. Android had a little bit longer, but you, know, you can't really write a web application these days that's just working for Android. It has to work at least for Android and iOS. Now, with that, you have a couple new options now. For example, you can use uh, these... Uh, USB or NFC uh, security keys for authentication. And uh, that works reasonably well for a mobile device and that you really only have to hold uh, this little token close uh, to the device in order uh, to authenticate. So no typing involved on the keyboard. In general, if you are developing a web application these days, standard practice is now you know mobile first. It, it has to work on a mobile device and then uh, the desktop uh, browser is almost sort of a little bit an afterthought for that. Mm. You really have to apply the same to the authentication as well. And it's not easy. You, know, you really have to come up uh, with a reasonable good compromise between usability and security. And I highly recommend that developers start looking at 
FIDO2, some of these tokens, some of these standards that start showing up uh, in web browsers uh, to see if they can leverage that uh, to secure uh, authentication better. Now, in your estimation, I mean, is this a reasonable compromise? Is, is there a good balance of security and convenience here? I think there is. Uh, it's in particular for uh, the more sensitive applications. Uh, if you, for example, need two-factor authentication, I would definitely suggest that uh, uh, two-factor usability is another sort of big issue. Uh, late last year, I think it was sort of fall last year, in, in Europe, they came up with a new uh, directive where banks have to require uh, two-factor authentication for login. Um, mm. I know from my parents who live in Germany that I think they can still not reach any customer support at the bank. Pretty much has been overwhelmed you know, since uh, this directive <laughs> became wow. uh, came into place. It's it's not easy to really get the usability right of this, and you know we really have a security professionals to remember using thirty two character random passwords that change once a day is not going to do the trick. So. Mm. Uh, Techniques like this, yes, you will read a lot about weaknesses in it, but uh, you have to come up uh, with a good compromise. And I think it's something uh, as a developer you should log into. You should see how this could possibly apply uh, for your application. All right. Well, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.